Hello, hello. Welcome to Too Legit to QT with me, Koya. I'm so excited today because I am talking to Mark Evans, director of The Glamour and Squalor, a documentary about Mark Collins. I'm so excited to have you on the show today, Mark. Welcome. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, so we were just talking about your background. I love the background. It's very retro. It looks like you're in a studio. I think it's it's symbolic of the film. I think it like fits in with the theme of the film. What yeah, you a, a little messy, but you know, it's got an organized chaos too. You've probably seen what hundreds of these backgrounds over this past year. I'm guessing. Um, yes, it's you know I always think that people's backgrounds are very symbolic of their personality. You know, like oh. <laughs> it's kind of like people who that like they look like their dogs. You know, yeah, right, like right. there's something a little bit that that fits with their their dogs. I feel like people's backgrounds kind of show a little bit of their personality. I don't think your background looks messy. I think it's very okay. like metro chic. You know, there's a vibe there, um, which probably drew you to the film because this film is just all about music and right. Marco Collins and all of those things. So um, I'm actually curious. I had the the opportunity to watch the film and it's really, really good. You, you, it, it, it took a different direction. You use like illustrations to actually tell the story. Um, what inspired you to do that? Well, actually let's, let's answer this question first. Okay. Just what inspired you to do a film about Marco Collins? Yeah. So, you know, this, this movie originally came out in 2016. So it's been, it's kind of like the five year anniversary and it's getting a re-release, which is, you know, kind of why we're talking today. But the first, the idea came 10 years ago. So I was even today like scrubbing through the film, like, okay, I got to refresh my memory a little bit about some of these things. But as far as like, you know, where the idea came from, I remember that vividly. It was about, almost 10 years ago now. Um, the end radio station 107.7 the end which is still on in seattle today which was mm. the radio station that marco worked for um in 2011 they were doing a 20-year anniversary of their radio station and they were playing all the hits and all the djs were coming back and telling kind of their best stories about their time being a dj on the station and remember you know seattle was the birthplace of grunge music so marco was the one like breaking bands like nirvana and pearl jam to the world so he had all these crazy stories about being right in the middle of it and i was listening to the radio which i didn't really i still don't really do a whole lot of but i was i happened to be somewhere where that was the only radio station that came in i was kind of far enough away and so i was going to the grocery store listening to the radio and it was just really good radio and it took me kind of back into as if I was in Seattle in 1991 when this music was taking off. And it reminded me of, um, I don't know if you saw Midnight in Paris, um, where Owen Wilson goes back to Paris in the 1920s and he's hanging out with, he's hanging out with like uh, Hemingway and the Fitzgeralds and everything. So it kind of almost reminded me of that, but a little bit more modern. Um, so that's that was kind of the initial idea. And I thought maybe I'd write a script about it and it'd be like a Midnight in Paris, but instead it'd be Seattle with with rock music. And um, so as I started researching it, I, I, I found out about Marco. I wasn't familiar with him at the time, even though a lot of my friends kind of grew up with him on the radio listening to him, but I was from a different part of the state, so I didn't have that experience, but I just was really drawn to his story. Wow. And that, yeah, that, that was the beginning of it. And then, you know, you were kind of talking about the animation. Um, that idea came in and, and as I was scrolling through the film again today, I was like, oh my God, we shot <laughs> so much for this movie. Like I've got a new movie coming out in, a, in probably a couple months. And most of that is archival, footage, you know, uh -huh. footage and then interviews. Whereas this one, we shot a lot. And then the animation also was to just kind of fill gaps. There wasn't a lot of archival footage to use. So there were certain uh -huh. stories that we wanted to tell. 
and you've got to show something. I don't want to just show somebody on camera telling the story. So that was where the animation came in, just to kind of uh, be able to visually tell some of those stories. Um, it was very impactful. It was really, it was really cool. I was like, wait, I'm watching a documentary, and now there are these illustrations. Oh, like <laughs> this is so cool. Um, and it just caught my, it caught my attention. You talked a little bit about your process with documentary filmmaking. I looked at your IMVD profile, and I see that you, you've done a lot of documentaries. Can you tell me about like what's your process in creating a documentary, and what are the differences between creating a documentary versus like a short or a feature? Yeah, um, you know, it all starts with an idea. So, if, and a lot of times, I mean, I'm always looking for ideas and I've got a notepad with just literally probably hundreds of ideas of films that I'll obviously never get to. But um, but with The Glamour and the Squalor, it was reading, it, it was this first idea of like hearing this radio station, this radio show of their, their history and their best stories. And that was really interesting to me. And then coming across an article that actually my now next door neighbor wrote. Um, which is kind of <laughs> ironic. Um, I had no idea about it. He wrote a feature article in the Seattle Weekly pa uh, paper about Marco. And that's what I uh, discovered when I first kind of had this idea. And I thought, oh my God, this is a great story. Um, yeah. And then ironically, we end up being next door neighbors. But um, <laughs> so always looking for ideas, first of all, and then deciding is this like, again, for this one, I thought maybe this would be a narrative feature film that I'd write the script. And it just, the more I got into it, I thought, okay, everybody for the most part is still alive. Um, I, I can get access to these people. And it just seemed like it'd be better off as a documentary. And this was my first film. So I kind of like, I think in a way fell into documentary because of it. And I realized, oh, I know how to do this now. So I can go interview a bunch of people to get the content. I can source archive footage that's out there. And then, but then everything else to me kind of is more like a, a feature film as far as um, structuring. If I'm going to go shoot, I want to have a production schedule that I follow. Mm -hmm. And certainly in terms of the story, I think of it just like um, a narrative feature film. When, when I'm working with the editor, we're really writing the film instead of writing a script, you're writing it when you're editing, but every step of the way we're thinking, okay, if we were writing this, what would happen next? And that's kind of um, how, how the process goes in the editing room, which, you know, can be a, you know, can, can be a year or two year process really. <laughs> wow, wow. How do you stay motivated in times like that? I mean, I, I know that filmmaking is a process and it often takes years, but how do you, how do you stay motivated when you, come up against certain obstacles and you're trying to make this film and you know, you're really passionate about it, but like what motivates you to just keep going? That's a good question. Uh, Cause there's often times where it's like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, why, why am I doing this? Like there's so much easier things to be doing. Uh, I'm sure you probably feel that way as well too. Oh yeah. Um, I think for me, it's like having multiple projects going on at the same time is always key. Uh -huh. There's often times where I feel like, oh my God, I, I wish I could just focus on one thing. I'm too scattered. But at the end of the day, it is nice to have multiple things going on. So when you do kind of run into a roadblock, you know, on, on your main project, you can kind of take a step back, give it a little bit of time to breathe and then work on, you know, something else and be moving that forward. So that I think has been probably the key for me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and then ultimately, you probably always have something good happening, um, at least with one of the projects that you have going on. So, um, yeah, I guess that would be the key. <laughs> Absolutely. I did an interview with this one um, one guy and he was just saying, you know, in in the entertainment business, it's like if, if you don't have something happening all the time, then it's like the last thing didn't happen. And sometimes yeah. you're on these highs where everything you do is matters and then you don't matter at all. Yeah. Well, and I feel that way, even with the work too, there's times where it's just like, 
does any of this really matter? And then other times, then, and then you hear from somebody that was really inspired by the story and it really helped them maybe get through something. And then you're like, okay, yeah, art matters. And it, yeah, right. it, all, it all does matter. And, but I, I mean, I love doing it. Like even yesterday um, I was working on the sound mix for this, this new film that I have. And I just had that thought of like, you know, I was just sitting here, I'm in my basement, um, which is where my wow. office is. So I was sitting here working on that. And I was like, I just love doing this. This is so much fun. So um, at the end of the day, it is, you know, it's, it's work that I love to do. So that's, you know, it keeps me going quite a bit because I just really enjoy doing it. Absolutely. And I mean, most people can't say that. They can't say that every day that they wake up, that they're working on things that they love, projects that matter. And I saw that within this film. That leads me to my next question. You know, whenever you're handling sensitive subject, a sensitive subject matter like this, you know, Marco opened up about um, all of the obstacles that he had to overcome, the discrimination that he experienced as a gay man. Um, how are you able to like create a safe space on set for the people that you're interviewing to be open and vulnerable, but also to be truthful, truthful to the story? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's it's the, probably the most important thing about documentary filmmaking, but it's also tough and hard. And um you know, with Marco, he was very open from the beginning. I think we had a lot of communication as far as like what the story was, what we were trying to tell. And, and we had an outline, you know, before I ever did a first interview with him where I kind of, and it, and it evolved of course over time, but it's funny to look back to my initial outline of what I thought the story was and how closely it kind of resembled that. When you're doing documentary, you want to be open-minded to discovering new things. But a lot of the story was I was telling a story that most of it had been in the past. So I kind of had an idea of, of what it was. And um, so we had those communications, but even still he was very open to, I'd say like 90%. And then there was that extra 10% where we realized like we need him to go a little farther um, and it just took time. And I think he um, ultimately realized that, okay, if I'm going to tell the story, if I'm going to tell I mean, my story, I'm going to put myself out there, I might as well go all the way in. Um, but it was, you know, we didn't get, there, there were some moments that I think were crucial to the film that we didn't get until the film was like 99% done. It was all edited. And then we just realized like, there's just a little layer of emotion where if we can, it, you know, if he is willing to go a little bit deeper, it'll really help the film. And to his credit, he was, and, um, and, and that was in there. And I think that was the reason that the film, um, you know, it ended up being as strong and successful as it was because of his, um, willingness to to go there and to go deep and talk about things that were you know still pretty painful for him whether it was the you know coming out or, or really his relationship with his dad was you know i think the most significant uh thing in his life and and he was willing to open up about it so i'm, I'm grateful that he was mm, you know i um we had on our show john cry who used to be um uh he used to work for new market films and he he said that sometimes you know you you have to, not sometimes, but all the time, you know, you really have to serve the story. Um, when yeah. you approached him about like how to serve the story in the best way, how did, how are you able to present that information and encourage him to do that? Because um, sometimes filmmakers, you know, if they have a script and it's like autobiographical, they know that, you know, you need a plot, but you also need you need something that drives the story. And sometimes when you're dealing with people and you're telling their lives and their personal story, um, being a filmmaker, you also have to tell them like, this is what's going to serve the story in the best way. How were you able to like encourage him in those moments? So that way he trusted you, but also like he knew that this is what needed to be done. Yeah, I think, um, 
you know, he, he loves independent film and is a storyteller himself. You know, if you're on the radio, you're, he's an entertainer, he's a storyteller. So I think he came into it already knowing that, okay, we've got to tell a great story or, or nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to watch it. And then what's the point. Right. So um, I don't think he needed a lot of really convincing with that. Um, and fairly early on, I think um, working with my editor, Jeff Gilbert, who's uh, gone on to do some amazing films, Boy State, The Overnighters, a couple of my favorite documentaries really of all time. Um, we, we came up with a word that we thought this word kind of represents the story and that word was acceptance. And so I think we kind of talked to Mark about that. Like, it, you know, I kind of said, well, here's my theory and tell me if, you know, I'm way off base or if you think that there's some truth to it, that a lot of your kind of story that we might navigate here centers around this word acceptance, whether it's from your listeners on the radio or with the bands. Um, and, and a lot of that stemmed from his relationship with his dad. You know, he really mm -hmm. wanted his dad, his, his dad wanted, was this, you know, police officer, wanted him to be an athlete and really pushed him to be like this man's man. And that's just not really who he was. And, but he always mm -hmm. wanted to get his dad's acceptance. So that really like kind of was the, the, we realized as we were editing that that word, like that our whole storyline, which there was several different storylines happening in the film, but as long as they related back to the word of him seeking acceptance, then it all made sense. And, and he, agreed with that. And so um, I, I don't remember like a lot of pushback for um, the ideas that we had in the film. Um, mm -hmm. I think he understood, you know, if this is going to make for the best story, which, you know, to your point, that's exactly, that's all that matters. It's all about the story. So um, he, right. he was up for it. Absolutely. Um, you know, how, how did you pitch the story to him? Because you were, it was your idea. You came up with the concept, but then you had to pitch it to Marco when you presented the was it did you just present it as an idea did you have like a pitch deck or a look yeah no it was just um i had a producing partner andy meininger and he and i kind of developed it a little bit together and then um reached out to him i think andy connected with him on facebook or something like that and oh. um, and he was open to it but i mean it was it was like a six month kind of process of mm. meeting and pitching and talking about it um obviously you know if you're going to tell your life if you know for the world to see you've got to really make sure you want to do it yeah. so um and he had uh, a close friend who ended up also being a producer on the film and has become a good friend of mine uh, michelle quisenberry who he really trusted and so michelle was involved with a lot of those meetings as well too and um you know, I think there, there was that article that Chris Cornelis, my next door neighbor, wrote uh, in the Seattle Weekly that really helped kind of act as a guide because it touched on his um, his career in the music industry of breaking all of these major, major bands, but then also his struggle with addiction, his struggle with coming out. Um, so it hit those things. And that's to me, that's like, OK, that's like the, the kind of the, the themes right there of our story. So. Um, I think maybe because that story had already come out. I remember he said when that story came out, he spent like two days just in bed, like didn't, he was just so scared and didn't want, you know, to face the world because he didn't know what everybody was going to think. Cause he'd never really even come out. He never really came out. Um, wow. I mean, people close to him knew over time, but like that article was the first thing where he was like actually out in the public. So, um, but because he went through that process, I think he was a little bit more open to, to, to this idea because he, he didn't feel like it was like the first time, uh, mm -hmm. you know, movies definitely different than, than, you know, an article, but, um, but yeah, I think that probably helped quite a bit. And yeah, it was just, like I said, it was like six months of it, of, uh, just kind of meeting and, and, um, him getting comfortable with it. And then finally he said, let's go for it. Awesome. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, you know, so whenever you're handling sensitive subject, sensitive subject matters, such as like, um, you know, racism or discrimination, I know that a lot of people 
they they make it a point to have people on set and people around the film that can add their voices to make sure that it's received by the community properly. Um, what measures did you take to make sure that um, this was received by the LGBTQ AI plus community? Because I see that it won a lot of awards at various yeah. festivals and it was received very well. Yeah. Um... It, it, yeah, it did do well, those films. And that was very important, those film festivals. And that was really important to us. And I think, um, you know, having the dialogue with Marco was always key is to make sure that we were telling that side of, of the story. Because, you know, it's interesting, like, go going back into this, you know, thinking about this again, like 10 years ago, yeah, I was telling it from a perspective that I'd necessarily, you know, I'm not in that community. And um, I don't know if I thought about that as much then when we first got into it as I would have now. Um, and, but, but we certainly did make, want to make sure that we were telling it appropriately. I, I look back and I think like, you know, maybe we got a little bit lucky that we told it right without involving more people from the community, but he was certainly involved and he had friends that would look at cuts and we wanted to make sure like, are we telling this, you know, appropriately? And again, Michelle Quisenberry being a close friend of his was really key for us as well too. Um, but it was received really well. I mean, we won, I think, um, five or six different LGBTQ film festivals. Um, so I know, including Outfest, which is maybe the biggest uh, festival, you know, documentary festival that, um, in that community. And so that was great, knowing that um, we told the story the right way. Um, and it was definitely a concern. But, but like I said, looking back, I maybe wish we would have involved some more people outside of maybe like our own network. Uh -huh. uh, but, you know, that's, like I said, that's something that I would certainly do today. Um, and it just wasn't, I just didn't know then, I guess. No, absolutely. Especially working on my first film too. Absolutely. Um, I often think about that even when I'm, I'm so I'm an actress and also um, a filmmaker. And, you know, whenever I'm even handling sensitive subject matter within my own community, everybody's like, well, you gotta make sure that, you know, you're like culturally appropriate and make yeah. sure like your references are okay. So what advice would you give filmmakers who are handling sensitive subject matters to, to what measures would you tell them to have in place or what advice can you yeah. give them? Well, I just think filmmaking is so collaborative with your crew and it's just like, it, it's just an extension of that. It's like, just think wider, think, you know, being, how can you be collaborative with, your crew, but then also if there's sensitive subject matter, the, the community that may be effective or may be able to help you best tell that story. Um, and then I think early on too, just, you know, you have an idea, but make sure, are you the best person to tell that story? That's, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, I think that's where it all starts. And, you know, that's certainly something for me, like I've had a couple of projects that are kind of in development right now that I think would be great stories, but I don't think I'd be, I don't think I have the best life experiences to tell that particular story. So I'm working, you know, with other, other partners and collaborators that would be a better fit to tell that. So I think that would be the first question to ask, like, okay, this is a great story. Yes. But are you the person, are you the best person to tell it? And then if you are, then then yeah, just it's, it's all about collaboration. Absolutely, I love that. How are you able to choose, how do you choose the best collaborators for you? Because we talk about that a lot on the show, how everybody isn't for you, everybody doesn't work well together, but when you find your tribe, you know, you see people in the entertainment industry consistently work with the same people over and over again. Like they use yeah. the same DPs, they use the same gaffers, they use the same uh, production coordinators or line producers. Um, how have you been able to find your collaborators and what are things that you look for? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And it's so important. Um, 
And I think I wasn't as early on as selective maybe as I wish I would have been or like, you know, did research or asked around like, you know, now, now if there's somebody new coming on the team, I'll, you know, make sure that I'm asking certain references and how are they to work with, um, you know, the, my, like my early projects, there was, um, there were some struggles and I'm like, oh my God, like I need to kind of <laughs> move away. But then there's also key people that I brought with me on every project. So I think part of it is also just, um, time and experience that you, wow. you know, you're, you never know how you're going to get along with somebody until you actually go through it. There's sometimes you can make a best guess and, uh, but other times it's just go through the experience and then kind of, I'm at the point now where I feel like I've kind of from project to project built a team of people that I'll continue to take with me, um, you know, and work with on, on future projects, uh, from DPs to editors and producers. So, um, but, but definitely it was, it, it's kind of been a process and just like going through that experience of like, okay, who, 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 who was awesome to work with. And then, you know, life's too short to work with people that aren't awesome to work with. So um, that's definitely been a big focus of mine. Like future projects only with people that I really enjoy working with because, um, you know, these projects can take, I mean, this was, you know, it was almost like a five-year process to make the glamour and the squalor. And um, same with my new film coming out, it's been almost five years. So it's, you know, you're with these people a lot and you got to make sure you have fun. <laughs> yes. And you, and you like the people that you work with five years is a long time. You exactly. can literally, you can literally get married and have two children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In like five years. And if you don't like the person you're working with, then it could be a long bumpy road. <laughs> yeah. Then it's not fun at all. Then, then it's like, well, why am I doing this? You know, what's the point? So <laughs> absolutely. Um, yesterday I actually did an interview with Nicholas Baruti. Um, and he did a film called uh, Independent called Dark State. And he he said, you know, it's so interesting the things that people thank me for. They thank me for being, you know, on time or being right. kind on set. And it's just like, why are very you basic, thanking me? Very basic things. <laughs> why are you thanking me for being a kind human being? But yeah. I think that, um, you know, the entertainment industry sometimes I think you can find some really, really great people, but because it's so, it's it can be very difficult because people are, um, we're all like operating underneath an immense amount of pressure. It really brings out, you know, either the best or the worst in people. Yeah. Um, and then when you find the best and you see the best, you're just like, yes, that, I, yeah. I need that. It's, and, it's I so, need and it's so refreshing too. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so let's see. Um, the film was about Marco Collins turning his passion for music into a significant lifetime work and battling some demons along the way. How have you been able to turn your passion from for filmmaking into a significant lifetime work? That's a great question. Um, and it's still ongoing and it's still a struggle. I mean, uh, we were talking earlier about doing what you love to do. And, you know, I spent seven years after college in sales and in management and never really enjoyed it. And my, my older brother actually had been making films and in the, in this world. And I kind of, it was just kind of, I saw what he was doing and it was really interesting, but I never thought that I would do it. And, um, we actually made a film, uh, actually we're still working on it. It's been like this 11 year process. Um, in, in Haiti, we went down to Haiti after the earthquake in 2010 and, um, and that, so that was kind of like my film school, that project. Um, and I just, I just fell in love with it. Um, so it's just, I just know that I love doing it. And, you know, I, and, and my, we have a little, uh, family studio, my wife, and, uh, we have a 10 year old son who's part of the little family business as well too. And so movies are one thing we just published a couple books last year. Um, so really it's you know, just storytelling and being in the creative field to me, it's like, I don't, I can't imagine doing anything else. And part of me is just like, okay, whatever I got to do just to like continue to survive in this world. Um, you know, I don't want to have to go get like a regular job ever. And, 
<laughs> so, but it's just, well, however long I can just kind of keep going in this world. And I think just as long as you have projects and, you know, good projects and you're working with good people, it's, it's possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. It just, it seems like there, that you definitely are very dedicated to the work that you do and, um, and you're a lifetime student. That's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that you're, you're a lifetime student and you're not afraid to learn new things. <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, so, sometimes I'm afraid to learn new things, but I always, you know, try to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, we're always learning. You know, it's funny, like you know, having a ten-year-old kid and you're teaching, and then you're telling him all the time, like, "Look, I don't like. I'm still learning too. Like, you you don't know everything. Like, I I know nothing. You know, <laughs> so you definitely also have a lot to learn. But um, yeah, it's yeah, lifelong learning. That's what it's all about. I love that. Well, I mean, this ha this is not film related, but I love that because sometimes you know, me and my sister, we talk about it all the time. But you know, now being in my thirties, I'm just like you know, our parents were just trying to figure it out. Like uh -oh. they, yeah, we thought they, they were, were so smart, but they were not these like superhuman human beings. They were literally like kids just trying yeah. to figure out. I mean, my mom, when she was my age, had like two kids and a whole husband. And I'm just like, <laughs> where do I want to move next? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I love that. I love that open openness and honesty. Um, well, thank you so much, Mark, for speaking with me today. Yeah, thanks, um, what's your new film? Just so we can shout it out here on the yeah, show. Yeah, it's, um, it's called Clay Dream, all one word. It's about Will Vinton, who's like the father of claymation. He created the California Raisins and all these characters from the 80s and 90s. That And he, and he built this company up, and then it kind of got taken from him. Um, so it's a great story. It comes out, I, I can't say where yet, but it'll be at a major film festival in June will be the premiere and then um, hopefully it'll be released for every, everybody to see after that. But yeah, clay dream, all one word. Awesome. And can we follow it on social media? You would think, but we don't really have any channels right now. <laughs> we will <laughs> soon, soon, hopefully soon. Okay. Awesome. I'm so bad. I'm so bad at social media. So that's okay. We literally just had a conversation with Nicholas Baruti about this. Everybody's, you know, working on their social media life. So we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get and I've just kind of gone the opposite way and like, I'm not really anywhere, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see it in major festivals and hopefully, you know, somewhere, um, online, streaming online. Maybe somewhere we can afterwards. talk again about that when the time comes. Absolutely. You can come back here and we'll talk yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Um, thank you for coming. And yeah, I hope Great. you have Thanks a so wonderful much. day, Mark. This is a wonderful conversation. You too. It's nice talking to you. Yes. Bye. Thanks.